Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Today is not only Memorial Day weekend, but to those of us in the church, we understand it's Pentecost Sunday. Fifty days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the Feast of the Harvest. The Feast of the Wheat Harvest, where the Jews brought in and celebrated the faithfulness of God to them, the abundance they had poured out through their life through that wheat crop. It's an interesting time of celebration for them. It originated with Moses when he gave the feasts and laid them out in the book of Exodus and Numbers. And then through time, the Jews began to also celebrate Pentecost as the giving of the law, remembering that God had given those Ten Commandments and instructions to Moses. And they joined that with the Feast of the Harvest or the Feast of Pentecost. I think it's interesting to note when you read the Old Testament, particularly in Exodus chapter 32, it tells you that when Moses came down the mountain with the stone tablets that God had written on, both the front and the back, and gave them the Ten Commandments, He saw the golden calf that Aaron had made, and in his anger, that's what the scripture says, he was so angry, he threw them on the ground and they broke. And we learn as we read that scripture that God says, you're going to punish these people for rebelling against me. You're going to punish these people for turning their back on me and returning to idol worship. And Moses said, whoever's on my side and God's side, stand with me. The scripture says the tribe of the Levites to the man stood beside him. And then he said, put your sword on and go through the camp. Kill brother, kill father. 3,000 men died that day as punishment for returning to idol worship. Isn't it interesting that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were swept into the kingdom of God. Now, God doesn't do coincidences. God isn't into accidents. It was planned with a purpose to show us what the law could not do, that it only brought death. God, through his Son and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, brings life to all mankind. So Pentecost Sunday is a Sunday we celebrate. We rejoice in what God has done. We're thankful for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the harvest that it represents to us today. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples just before ascending back into heaven, but after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. I want you to notice two words in that scripture. The first is power, and the second is witnesses. Because we always place so much emphasis on the first word, power. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they received power. But I also want you to notice that power has a specific purpose. And the purpose is to make you a witness for Jesus Christ. When you read the Greek, you understand it's better translated martyr. The power to be a martyr. In other words, to lay your life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
In other words, the God power of the Holy Spirit moves us out of our comfort zone. He places us in positions where it's but God or else. Where if God doesn't show up and shine through and prove his great power through our lives, we're probably doomed. But it's wonderful to know that God gives us power even in circumstances and situations that can bring danger to our life, power to continue to be witnesses unto him. It's interesting, when you read the book of Acts, you go on to chapter 17, when Paul and his company got to the city of Thessalonica, there was a huge uproar. And the people of the city said, those who have turned the world upside down have now come here. Here's my question. Has anyone in your life said those who have turned the world upside down are now here? See, because if you're not turning the world upside down, if you're not radically bringing change through the power of the Holy Ghost, something's amiss in our lives. Because it's God's design by outpouring the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that you and I be filled with power to be witnesses to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ and for the gospel. When you look around us today, you recognize we certainly do need power in the church. Too many times the church doesn't have power to blow the fuzz off a peanut. We just don't have it. There's a lot of pretenders, a lot of wannabes, a lot of flat-out fakes in the church world. A lot of things that we call Christianity that are really nothing more than the religion of men. Paul talked about it when he wrote to Timothy, and he said, in the last days, Men will be lovers of God, seekers of God, but devoid of that power. That describes the church in this day and in this age. Look at our culture. Our culture is darker and darker and darker seemingly every day. It seems that culture is hell-bent on taking everybody to hell with it. That's exactly right. And the only thing that can stop that travesty from happening is the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life and in mine where we stand in the gap, we make up the difference, and people are rescued because we are witnesses unto Jesus Christ. Power. Look around us and we recognize that without a doubt, we are living in the last days. There is now a digital currency being proposed and pushed not only by our government, but by other governments around the world as well. And when that happens, and when it does go into place, and believe me, it will at some point, we're seeing the mark of the beast. Come on, church, it's time to wake up and recognize this isn't the day to be powerless believers. This is the day to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so God can use us in a mighty way. Look around you. Did you realize this blows my mind? Sports Illustrated named a man as woman of the year. How absurd can that become? Absolutely ridiculous. It's nothing but a lie from the pit of hell and doctrines of demons that are being promoted throughout our culture today. And we have to understand the only hope for the world is believers who will be filled with the power of God and see change occur. See, I believe, take it to heart or not, I don't really care. But I believe that if we really believe 10% 
of what we say we believed, we would be 100% more proactive in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. But the simple truth is we want to be comfortable. We want to be cared for. We want to be stroked. Don't send me to a church that's going to tell me the truth and possibly offend me in my sin. Friend, the gospel is offensive. There is no other way to look at it. People come and people leave because they don't like to be offended. The gospel is offensive. It tells us without Christ we are enemies with God. It tells us there's only one way to heaven, not many ways. It tells us Jesus is the Savior of the entire world, not just Western Christianity. The gospel is offensive. You see, the gospel doesn't blend with anything. Just like you can't mix oil and water, the gospel doesn't mix with the religions of the world. The gospel cannot be perverted and made work with New Age teaching and ideology. The gospel does not work with Islam. The gospel does not work with Buddhism. The gospel does not work with Hinduism. It stands alone as the only means and the only way of bringing salvation to a lost and dying world. And you know the crazy thing? Somehow God has entrusted you and me with that message. He's given it to us and said, go! In the power of my might. And see men and women born into the kingdom of God. Church, it's time to recognize that Pentecost means the power of God operating in our lives. Pentecost means that we are going to rise above the culture and stand in the gap for the lost and the dying in our world. Now let me talk to Pentecostal Christians. Let me talk to charismatic Christians. Because most of the time, when we read, read Acts 1-8, we read that as power to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We read that as demonstrations of miracles, of deliverances, of signs and of wonders. And may I say, all those things do follow those who believe. But I really wonder, is that what Jesus meant when he said, you shall receive power? After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Let me take you back to what he said in the Gospels. When asked about the greatest commandment, he said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those things are impossible to accomplish in this form. Now, maybe you've never had a difficult neighbor. Maybe you've never had a contrary relationship. Maybe you've never known a person who rubbed you like sandpaper every time you were around them. Maybe you've never had a situation where there was someone in your life, maybe, think about this, maybe placed by God to bring you to a place of transformation so that you could obey that second great commandment. Well, it's an amazing thought when you think about it, because we, what do we do? We walk away. We distance ourselves. We push them away. We tell them off. Am I just preaching to myself this morning? I must be. I I often forget how holy and perfect you all are and how flawed I really am. 
God puts people in our lives that work as an abrasive agent to bring change in us. It's not about changing them. It's about changing us. So that we can move in that second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So and here's the key. If we will really ever learn to love our neighbor as ourself, then at some point that love is going to break down every barrier that you have built or they have built, that Satan has built, and bring them to an encounter where they have to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, or no, I reject Jesus. So that's what the love of God does. But too often we've said, well, we're going to get power when we receive the Holy Ghost. And we think it's power to do all these mighty things. But I've come to tell you, it is so much more. So much more. But think with me about Peter. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood to preach the gospel. Now roll the track back, rewind the tape, and look at his life. Peter was abrasive. He was brash. He was impetuous. He flew by the seat of his pants. He wasn't afraid of anybody. But on that day, he stood to preach the gospel to his enemies. Why were they his enemies? Because 53 days prior, they had crucified Jesus Christ. When Pilate said to this crowd, I can release one to you at the celebration. Will it be Barabbas? Barabbas was a murderer, an insurrectionist, a terrorist, a thief. Or would it be Jesus? What did that crowd say? They said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Do you know what they're saying with that statement? We want more murder. We want more mayhem. We want more terroristic acts. Let it come into our lives and crucify Jesus. Peter was preaching to his enemies. He stood that day after having received power and able to love his enemies. See, I believe that the power that Jesus is talking about is a power that enables you and me to love those that we don't like, to love those that we would just soon they go to hell. I can't believe you just said that. I just say what you're already thinking. All right? We all know people like that. God, if you let him in, check me off. That's our attitude many times. It's a power to love those who are unlovable, bring redemption to those that are not redeemed, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring uh, bondage, break the bondage to those that are bound. Oh, listen to me. I'm talking to somebody here in this room or online this morning. You have a child or you have a parent or a spouse who's been bound by drugs and alcohol for years and years and years. You've gotten to the point you don't want to see them. You don't want to talk to them. When you see their caller ID on your phone, you hit uh, ignore. You don't want anything to do with them. They've stolen from you. They've lied to you. They beat you down and you're done. But I'm here to tell you the power of the Holy Spirit is a power that enables you to continue to love those who've abused you, mistreated you, lied to you, stolen from you, so that they too at one point will see the love of God. You see that word martyrs? It means laying down our life. 
But too often we won't do that. Oh, we say, send me to the darkest jungle in Africa and I'll go and I'll preach the gospel to the heathen. Send me to the 1040 window that's never heard the gospel and I'll preach the gospel to the heathen. But we won't preach the gospel to those who are under our roof. I believe it's a power to love. Because every good thing from God flows from God's love. There is nothing we receive from him that doesn't flow from his love toward us. So it only makes sense. The power of the Holy Ghost is a power to love. Think about it. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter's following Jesus around, and this thought pops into his mind. He doesn't wait. He just blurts it out. Hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive the one that offends me? You all know the answer, right? He said, is seven the magic number? Do you know why he chose seven? Because it's the number of completion. If I forgive him seven times, hear me, then I'm done. I can X them out. I can remove them from my life seven times. Now, people have interpreted that to say in a day. It doesn't say in a day in the scripture. He's talking about a lifetime. If I forgive him seven times in my entire lifetime, then my obligation is finished and over. I can exclude them from my life. I can act as though they don't exist. What did Jesus say? He said, no, Peter, you got it wrong. It's not seven times in your lifetime you forgive that person. It's seven times 70. Do the math, 490 times. Do you know anyone to this point in your life that you've had to forgive that many times? I doubt it seriously. I doubt it seriously. And if you do, listen, then you're keeping score. And if you're keeping score, you're really not forgiving them, are you? You're really not doing what God's commanded you to do, are you? See, the thing about forgiveness, Jesus makes it very clear. If we don't forgive others, we have a debit account with God and God's not going to forgive us. It's always in the negative. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is a power to love those that we don't like, that we don't want to be around, that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't smell like us, don't eat like us. It's a power that brings change in you and me. And that change brings change to others around us. Think about Peter. When Jesus came walking across the water in the night, all the disciples, including Peter, were afraid. And then he perceived it was Jesus. He said, if it's you, bid me come to you. And so Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat and began walking on the water. But as he soon, soon as he saw the waves, he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. See, he had a desire to do what was right. He had a desire to walk in faith, but he didn't have the power, the motivation to accomplish that. Think about it on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know the story, right? Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, climbed to the top of Mount Hermon. And then Moses and Elijah came down. And Peter and James and John were enthralled. And then Peter, by the Holy Spirit, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. 
And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Somebody ought to hang on to that today. I got news for you. The church is not going down. It's not going under. The church is victorious because Jesus said upon the rock of his confession, I will build my church. And then just in a moment, suddenly Peter switches gears. He goes from being this spiritual guy with great revelation to being the carnal fisherman. And he said, oh, Lord, let's be, build three tabernacles right here on this mountain. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. In one moment, he's confessing Christ by revelation from God. And in the next moment, Jesus is rebuking him. Peter's an interesting guy. And then we go to the garden. The soldiers from the temple come looking for Jesus. And just before that, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, one of you is going to deny me. And what did Peter say? They all may deny you. They're nothing but a bunch of losers anyway. They're spineless, no guts, no backbone. But Lord, I will never deny you. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So they're standing there in the garden, and here come the soldiers, and they're getting ready to take Jesus to trial before the Sanhedrin, the religious body. And Peter would have none of that, so he pulls out his sword and lops off the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus lovingly restores it, tells Peter, put your sword away. You see, there are times when Peter showed great courage, but I believe in that time he was operating from fear rather than courage. He had the wrong motivation. So back to the day of Pentecost, he stood to preach that day. After having been filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching to the crowd that murdered Jesus Christ. The crowd he had been terrified of because he denied him three times. He said, even if you die, I'll die with you. No, he didn't want to die. He's a lot like us, a big mouth and a weak heart. A big mouth and good intentions, but no courage to carry it through. But when he was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit gave him the power to love the very people that had ruined and wrecked his life. The power to reach out to them and declare to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say in John chapter 13, verse 35? By this all men will know you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. See, I believe the power that comes when we're filled with the Holy Spirit is a power that enables us to love others. A power that moves us with compassion upon those who are lost and dying and perishing. A power which from a motivation of love allows us to operate in those gifts of the Holy Spirit. Talk about more of that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Just a minute. The power bursts compassion within us. Matter of fact, read the Gospels 21 times. It says Jesus had compassion on them or Jesus was moved with compassion toward them. Love bursts compassion. And compassion demands action. You can't stand on the sideline when you are moved with compassion. 
And it's a power to love unlovable, to love the despicable, to love people whose lifestyle is offensive. Just a sidebar. Doesn't really matter to me what you identify as. You got boy parts, you're a he, him. You got girl parts, you're a she, her. That's just the way it's going to be. Oh, and by the way, if you got the wrong parts and you're in the restroom you shouldn't be in, watch out. It's not going to be pleasant. Well, that is not politically correct. Neither is the gospel. Jesus confronted the sinner, and it's only through confrontation and conviction that their hearts are turned towards him. Could it be the power of the Holy Ghost enables us to love the lost before we are used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? See, I believe if you don't understand the power of the Holy Ghost motivates you with love, then you've been thinking incorrectly about Holy, what Holy Spirit does in your life. Kind of reminds me of the secretary who kept her birth control peers in the top, pills in the top door of her desk. She went to lunch. She came back. The boss said, I hope you don't mind, but I took one of your ibuprofen for my headache. She says, oh, no, that's fine, and you won't get pregnant either. We invert things. We miss it up. We don't understand. And as a result, we move from wrong motivations. But the power of love the Holy Spirit pours into us, motivates us, inspires us to intervene and to lay our life down for the cause of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 27, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. How did he do what he did? How did he continue doing what he did? What drove him? What pushed him? What motivated him? To go to people that rejected and despised him, that wanted to kill him. Matter of fact, beginning in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, Paul writing, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeying often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. What motivated him to keep going? What caused him not to throw in the towel? Why didn't he just give up? Let me tell you why. Because he was filled with the power of the Holy Ghost that moved him to a place where he loved those who persecuted him, who beat him, who imprisoned him, who tried to kill him. It moved him to the place that if he had to go down the, over the wall in a basket to escape, he would do so no matter what happened. It moved him to reach those who had never heard. And if we don't have that same motivation, we really don't care about the command of Jesus Christ. Because he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what is his commandment? After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will be witnesses unto, you'll be martyrs for me 
in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. Do you realize that only one disciple died a natural death? That was John. The others were killed, murdered, mutilated. Peter himself was hung upside down on a cross. And even John was thrown into a vat of boiling oil, but he didn't die. Friend, we've got to be willing to come to the place in this culture, in this society, in this day and in this time, where we are motivated by nothing but the love of Jesus Christ. And as we move into those realms where darkness exists, where sinners are trapped, where there is no hope, then through love we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't do that, what did Jesus say? Oh yeah, I'm going to put the sheep on my right hand. The goat's on my left hand. And I'm going to say those on my left hand, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Then they will say, but in your name we cast out devils. But in your name we healed the sick. And he will say, I never knew you. Because any time we do anything in the name of Christ, outside of the power of Holy Ghost love, it's all for our glory. It's all for our acclaim. And so people can say, look at that person. They have this gift or that gift, and wonderful, mighty things occur and happen. We think often the power is about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith to move mountains, working of healings, working of miracles, discerning of spirits, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. But I've come to tell you this morning that if your motivation isn't the love of God moving through you to reach those that are in depths and whole situations, then you're not going to see any reward. Paul addressed it probably better than anyone else in the New Testament. When he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think it's interesting that right after he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he then goes on to set the background and the motivation. He said, you can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but without love, you're just noisy. Yeah, clanging symbols. You're just noisy. And he went on to say that you can have faith, but without love, you're nothing. Without love, you're empty. You're void. You're not contributing to the kingdom of God. He said it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Verse 13, he says, And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Pursue love. Notice the, notice the order. Pursue love desire spiritual gifts. He doesn't say pursue spiritual gifts. He said pursue love because love is the motivation and the power that fills our heart when the Holy Ghost comes upon us and enables us to move from where we are, move from who we are, and become what God wants us to be. But without love, yeah, we're nothing. Could it be then when Jesus gave this declaration in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
that he was talking first and foremost about a power to transform our thinking patterns, our behaviors, our actions, and enable us to love those that we've never loved before. Could it be? I mean, think about it. We have trouble in the church loving one another. But Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. He's not talking about loving the lost there. He's talking about loving the body of Christ. Yet how many times have you seen someone get crossways with someone else and it escalates and comes into anger and frustration and then it blows up and somebody leaves? Where's God in that? Where's God in that? Listen, folks, I've come to tell you again, as I've told you time and time again, that there should be unity in the body of Christ. Because it's in the place of unity that we find the blessing of God. And anytime we allow our personal feelings, our opinions, our preferences to take priority over the love of God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. God help us to understand the power of the Holy Spirit first brings us power to love those that are lost. And in that motivation from love, we then minister to them, we reach them, we show God's power demonstrated in their lives. But listen, if you don't love them first, they don't care what you can do. The power of love. Tom, would you come back, please? You know, we started this year with these little cards. I challenged you to write down ten names. And I don't want these back, by the way. This is for you. Ten people that you want to see born the kingdom of God in 2023. And you pray for them every day. You get involved in their life as you can. You show them the love of Christ. And I believe by the end of this year, you will start checking names off of people who have seen the love of God moving through you, who are drawn to Him because of what they see in you, and their lives are being transformed. You can get one, pick one up today, fill it out, keep it, pray over them, witness to them, invest in their lives. Could it be when Jesus said, after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power to be witnesses unto me. He was talking about the power to love those that you can't currently love. And when you begin to love them, then the power of the Holy Ghost, with all the gifts of the Holy Ghost, begin operating in your life to bring change to them. Could it be? Acts 2, 1 through 4, the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. I think about that and I think it's significant because I think that wind was designed to blow out everything from their lives that ought to be gone. Sweep it away. And then it says, cloven tongues as of fire set on each one of them. James 3. No man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil. But I'm here to tell you the power of the Holy Ghost can tame the tongue. The things you always dispute out because that's who you are can stop because that's who He is. Thank you, whoever that was. 
And they all begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And it was that noise. I don't know if the people in Jerusalem heard the rushing mighty wind. I don't know if they saw the cloven tongues as a fire. But I know they heard that 120 magnifying God, glorifying Jesus in their own languages. And it drew them to be the audience that Peter preached to. Who does God want to draw into your circle so that you can be that witness, that martyr? Lay your life down and show them the love of Christ. Stand to your feet with me across this room. I believe this Pentecost Sunday, God wants to readjust our thinking. Because you see, trying to do the work of Christ without the power of the Holy Ghost it's like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. It's not going to end well. The only way we can do what God has called us to do is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And after that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall receive power to be witnesses unto me. Who does God want you to be that witness to? And what changes does Holy Ghost have to make in your life so that you can move in that arena of supernatural love? As Tom begins to sing, Holy Ghost has been convicting you this entire message. And it's time for you to say, Lord, let the wind blow. Let the fire fall. Fill me afresh and anew with the power of the Holy Ghost this Pentecost Sunday so that lives will be changed because of who I am in you. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.